John chapter 4, where this week and next week are going to be a little bit different than, than normal. We're kind of in a time of transition, kind of in a time of uh, restart mode, you could say, as we look to the future, as we look to worshiping at a new location in the next couple of weeks. Uh, there's a lot of fresh starts, and with the new year, of course, it's a fresh start as well. And so I would encourage you this next week to really spend some time in John chapter 4. If you've got some time during the week, if you're looking for a passage of Scripture, just read John 4 uh, and meditate upon that, and we're going to be in it today and, and next Sunday as well. John chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman came from Samaria. This woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the, and, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? 
Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. And today we ask that you take this word and seal it in our minds. We ask that you take your word and give us a fresh vision. Capture our minds and our hearts this morning with the purposes that you've created us for. We ask that you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was a couple of small-town young boys from Alden, Minnesota, where there's about two stop signs and no stoplights, traveling in Minneapolis for the first time to a Minnesota Twins game. Parents had said we could go and drive ourselves, and so we went up, about 17, 18 years old, went to the game, had a great time, left the game, and started driving home. Started driving home, my buddy says to me, hey, have you seen, I think it was Bloomington, I'm not 100% sure, but have you seen Bloomington? I, I don't know, I haven't been paying attention. He says, well, look behind you. So I looked behind me, I said, well, yeah, downtown. And I said, and he says, are we going the right way? And I'm like, well, we're going to see downtown no matter which way we're going. So we keep driving, and he stops, and he goes, hey, have you seen Oatana? I'm not paying attention, I haven't seen Oatana. Then he goes, well, I'm not seeing any of the same stuff that we saw on the way here. Thing. I say, okay, well, I said, well, where do you want? He's like, oh, 35, I think. And I said, well, how'd you get out of there? Just took it right and drove. It's one way. Said 35 this way. Stopped. We were going 35 north. Thing. <laughs> we're also saying south back home. Well, now we're about 30 to 45 minutes behind the schedule. And there was a certain time the parents wanted us home. So what do you got to do to make up time? You got to drive faster. Thing. How do highway patrol officers like young men driving fast away from the cities in the middle of the night? It doesn't go over well. Speeding ticket. It sure would have been nice if someone would have come a little bit sooner and said, hey, you're going the wrong direction. You're traveling north and you want to go south. You're on the wrong path. It would have been nice to hear those words a lot sooner. Because when you're going the wrong direction and you don't turn around soon enough, there's trouble. This morning, as we read John chapter 4, we meet a woman that's come to the well to draw water. Everything points to this woman going the wrong direction. You could say that she is not the model citizen. You see, she's drawing water at an hour in the day when no one else will draw water. The commentators and the people who study this in the hour that it says in the Bible that says she came say that the only people that really come to the well at that time are people who are outcasts in society or stray dogs. This woman is definitely going the wrong direction. And Jesus even gets to the heart of the matter with her and, and points it out that she's going the wrong direction. You could say that this woman has not yet found true north. She has not yet found that purpose that she was created for. She has not yet found the ability to walk in the path that God desires for her, true north. This morning, all of us are looking for true north. We're all looking for that pathway that we're supposed to be on, that place where we know where we're being, who we are supposed to be, true north. 
Well, this woman was definitely not on True North. And as we consider what True North means, from all of us, I think we would agree that from a Christian perspective, we would all say True North is the path we're we're on where we're following the desires of God. So if you're going true north, you're in the will of God. That would be true north. Or to put it in other words, true north is being who we are supposed to be. Well, this woman was not being who she was supposed to be. Well, how about you and I this morning? I'm sure that there's times in your journey of life, maybe now, maybe before, where you've been wondering, am I who I am supposed to be? We've all got to ask that individually of ourselves. Am I on true north? But we also have to ask that of ourselves as a church. What's true north for the church? What is success for the church? What is going the way that God would have us go? As we read here in John chapter 4, we get a clear picture of what is true north according to God, of where God wants us to go. So this week and next week, we're going to see really two sides of a coin. This week we see the first side where God lays out where he wants us to go as individuals and where he wants us to go as a church. But anytime you're trying to adjust to go true north, you have to take a reality check. We, we had to find out where we were before we finally decided to start going the right way home. If you want to make a change in life, you need a reality check. You need a baseline of where you're at today. So if you go to the doctor, a lot of times they'll... They'll check stuff, but they're comparing that to a baseline. They're trying to just get a check of where you're at today. And then you come back, they compare that to the new baseline that they have. So we need to do a reality check spiritually. And also as a church, where are we today? And then we can compare that to true north. So we're going to do a little bit of a reality check. Main reason, because it's necessary. We've looked at this quote before from author Jim Collins, where he says, All good to great companies began the process of finding a path to greatness by confronting the brutal facts of their current reality. It is impossible to make good decisions without infusing the entire process with an, with an honest confrontation of the brutal facts. You can't make decisions about the future until you really know exactly where you're at today. Otherwise, you're not going to be starting from reality, so therefore you're actually not going to be changing reality. So we're going to take a reality check this morning and look at some brutal facts. First, we're going to look at a reality check of the church as a whole. And again, we've looked at a lot of this. The church as a whole, the, end, the fact of the matter is the evangelical Christianity in America is on a serious decline. There's no one out there that's arguing that evangelical Christianity is on the rise. There's pockets where it's on the rise, absolutely. But as a whole... It's more of an exception than a rule. And there's a couple of places that you can look that show the proof in the pudding. Go to your local private college and ask them how their fundraising is going. Horrible. Where does their money come from? A local private Christian college. It comes from the evangelical Christian community. Their fundraising is going down. Why? Because the evangelical community is going down. Go to a seminary, this one included, and find a seminary that's operating in the black. You won't. Find a seminary that has money. You won't find one. Why? Because the evangelical Christian community is dying in America. Therefore, all of the funds are drying up. That's, that's the 
bad news. There's more bad news for those of us who are parents. That is that two out of three children raised in an evangelical home do not return to church. This is an evangelical home where the Bible is to believe the Word of God. This is not a Catholic home or a Protestant home. When you look at the numbers for Catholic and Protestant, they're way worse. But I would say this is pretty bad. 66% of the kids who come through these doors will not be in church in 15 years. So now how about Sioux Falls? What's going on in Sioux Falls as a whole? Well, Sioux Falls as a whole, we have to recognize that Sioux Falls has a plethora, when I say plethora, I mean plethora, a plethora of faithful churches, and we are all on the same team. I want to emphasize this. Those who are lifting up God's word and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, we're on the exact same team. If we're not on the same team, we should say something about it, and loudly, and boldly. Every Sunday morning, I've shared this before, I pray for five specific churches in Sioux Falls. Abiding Savior Free Lutheran, Memorial Lutheran, Faith Baptist, First Evangelical Free, and Living Word. Why? Because I know they're proclaiming the Word of God. I don't want people from there to come here. We're on the exact same team. We do things a little bit differently, but we've got the same goal. So we've got to work together with other churches that are faithfully proclaiming God's Word. We also have to realize the city that we're living in has a variety of economic and social challenges. Now, I know the kickback on this. The Kelloland and the Argus don't tell the story. Newsweek does not tell the story. Sioux Falls is a boom town. I hear it all the time. Is there success in Sioux Falls? Absolutely. Sioux Falls economically has got a lot of financial success. However, go north of 18th Street, there's a bundle of cultural and economic challenges. There's kids, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, I've been in a home in the last month where there's kids sleeping on a floor where the majority of you would call social services. And it's not just an exception. It's a regularity in a variety of places. Sioux Falls is facing a variety of challenges. The question is, is there churches that are also joining in to help with those challenges. We do have fi financial success. I want to be clear about that. We're rich, but at the exact same time, we've got a lot of challenges in our city. We could ignore it. That's the easy thing to do. Or we could get our hands dirty and join in. I would encourage you, if you don't know of the challenges, just find a teacher at Hawthorne, Lowell, or Cleveland School. Teachers know the local culture the best because they're dealing with real people and real issues. And you'll get a good picture really quick of what the city of Sioux Falls is actually made up of. So again, I share this to give us a, a picture of where we're at. We're in Sioux Falls. We should talk about Sioux Falls. We've got great churches. We've also got a city that's struggling that's oftentimes ignored. Well now, how about King of Glory specifically? This is where we've got to take another reality check, and this is not meant to be a litany of bad news this morning. Thing. We could go through 40 things. Thing. So you had to narrow it down and pick. This is just a reality check. It's fact. The fact of the matter is we're older and we're declining. I always get kickback about this. People are just, oh, pastor, you're overreacting. This is fact. Thing. Right now, all of you are getting older. 
right now thing. Right? And so a church is never staying static. You're always getting older, which means you're dying. Again, I don't mean that lightly, but it's true. So the reason we don't think about this is very simply. When you come on Sunday morning, you look up front and you're like, ah, look at that young buck. He must be like 16. And then look at all those other young bucks. We're young. We got all this energy. Then you go in the back of the room and stand and look ahead. I'm not going to say what you see, but you see a lot of old things. This is the reality, folks. We're getting older. There's not many kids. There is, you know, we say, oh, we just had a couple of babies. That puts the class size at like three. We're old, and we're only getting older. This is a serious challenge. I would contend this is our biggest challenge. Because where do young people want to go? With other young people. I don't want to hang out with a 50-year-old. I'm sorry. No offense. It's the way society and culture works. We're declining and we're getting older. This is just an odd dilemma for a young church in years of existence to face. Secondly, we've got a lot of relationships in our church, which is fabulous. But oftentimes those relationships trump mission. What I mean by that is this. When it comes time to make a decision, so let's say, hey, let's go out and let's buy um, 400 acres over there and start raising some pheasants so the pastor's got some place to hunt, right? Great idea thing. We should consider it thing. Let's say for a moment that it was a great idea because it was going to lead to serious evangelism. Here's the way the decision process works in our church. Yeah, but you know what? Frank and Francisca are going to be really mad about that. And I don't think we're going to remain friends if we decide to go do that. Therefore, we better not do that. So the relationship trumps the strategic, logical decision for the organization. Again, I'm not saying this, I'm just pointing out reality. The relationships are good. That's fabulous that we've got some in-depth friendships. But in the church, mission comes first. So this is just a challenge that we've got to find a way to continue to navigate. And to go along with that then is we've got a variety of priorities. So we've got some people that say, hey, let's get as many 40 to 70-year-olds as we can that that are looking for a Bible-believing church. Again, good thing. We've got other people that are saying, hey, let's get some young people. We need some kids in here thing. Then we've got other people that are saying, hey, we've got a struggling community where we've got people that are struggling economically, that don't really have a church home. Let's help them. Let's be a church for the unchurched that are struggling economically and socially. So you've got these three different priorities, right? Again, are any of the priorities wrong? They're not wrong, but it's almost impossible, almost, I'll say almost, for an organization to hold all three priorities equal and accomplish all three priorities. Again, I'm just talking from organizational business. It won't work. No consultant would ever come in here and say to do what we are doing. Thing. So, we've got to recognize the challenge. We're trying to do something that's really difficult. Now, the reason that it doesn't work is this. What one of those groups wants is actually a distaste to the other group. And so it's People are like, well, why is it so difficult? Well, it's because young people are sometimes looking for something different than older people. And unchurched people have way different expectations of church than churched people. So then there's going to be a major rub there sometimes. It creates conflict and difficult conversations. Again, it's just reality. I'm not arguing for one of those priorities. I'm just saying it's functional reality at the moment. 
Fine, just the final bad news item, and then we'll get to some good news. We struggle with evangelism. There should be no kickback against this. This is a fact thing. And this isn't just king of glory. This is across the board. There's hardly any churches that are good at going out and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to people that are not actively engaged in the church. We're just uncomfortable with talking to people about our faith. And not only that, but we're uncomfortable making this a priority. We have not had one all-night prayer gathering for the lost. We've not had one fast call to fast for the people that don't know Jesus in our city. Evangelism is just a challenge where we begin because we all know church. We grew up in the church, so our thing is like, well, why won't someone come to church? So we don't know to understand the mindset at all. That's just a challenge. Let's get to some good news. Thing. Well, at King of Glory, we do have people eager to participate in service opportunities. So if we go pack food somewhere, if we want to do an activity together that's service-oriented, people want to do it. Why? Because they want to serve. They want to bless other people. And it's hands-on. You can see the results of what you're doing. This is fabulous. We should continue to build off of this. We should continue to make it so it's not just 40% of the church, but it's the whole church. We should build off of this asset and continue to push forward. It's fabulous. At the same time, we've got a small group of committed core leaders for our church. We've got a fabulous group of inner core people that put a lot of time and effort into our church that are committed with their families, their time, and their finances. I would put them up against any core volunteer group in the city. They love God's word, they want the church to succeed, and they're fully invested. It's fabulous. At the same time, we've got a good, caring spirit as a church. We should celebrate this, right? Most people care about one another. That's good. Now we've got to find a way to take that caring spirit and move it beyond just the inner core that knows one another to be an outward caring spirit to to all people. So again, it's fabulous. Let's continue to care for one another. Let's, Let's build on that asset. Not only that, but again, I think we should be commended there is an openness to doing different things. Again, there, wasn't, there was some difficult discussions about the new location. There's arguments. There's, at the end of the day, we decided to do something different. There was a general open spirit to it. If you don't think we need to do something different, you don't believe anything that I've talked about up to this point, about the evangelical church as a whole. So I appreciate that there's this spirit saying, yeah, let's, do, let's try things differently. That's a good thing. We should celebrate that and we should continue to push forward in that. And then finally, God's word is central in everything. We have not yet wavered on keeping God's word central in worship, God's word central in everything that we do, God's word as the authoritative voice. Again, this is central to what we do. We should celebrate that and we should maintain it and continue full speed ahead. So that's kind of a reality check of of where we're at as as a congregation. Notice I didn't say anything about money. Nothing. Because guess what? We've got plenty of money. And I can't tell you if we're being successful financially or not because I got no idea how much money all of you make. We could meet our budget goal this year and guess what? I don't know if that's success. Because I got no idea if we've got generous givers. (laughs) Unless everybody's going to bring their tax returns in We just can't make that declaration. We can say this, though. Thank God for his provision. That he's continually provided for us. That's what we need to say, 
is thank God for his provision and praise God for his provision and continue to push and, and argue and lift up a spirit of generosity. So that's a reality check of, of where we're at today. So the question is really, what's true north? Who are we supposed to be? Can you put yourself in the shoes of this woman for a moment at the well? She's just been confronted with all of this stuff in her past. You think she's proud of having five husbands? She tried to hide it from Jesus. So now she's confronted with this truth. The question for her really is, well, who am I supposed to be? Who are we supposed to be as the church and as individuals? Turn with me back to John chapter 4. We're going to get right to the heart of it, of what God is seeking. John 4, verse 23. John 4, verse 23. Right in the middle of Jesus talking with the woman. He's turned the conversation now away from the husband issue. John 4, 23, he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. This is what He's in the business of doing. From the very beginning of time, God has wanted to create a group of people that worship Him. Think back to your Sunday school days. I know, for some of you, we just got done talking about how we're aging. So for some of this, is a little ways to go. Think back, Old Testament. Moses is sent to this group of people to free them from slavery. Why is Moses sent to free this group of people? Why does God want this group of people freed? I would encourage you to go back to Exodus and read. Moses almost makes the exact same statement every time when talking to Pharaoh. Free my people so that they can go out and have a service so that they can go out and worship god wanted his people freed from slavery so that his people could worship him it's what god's been trying to do all along build the nation of israel focused around a temple the focus of the temple was what this is where we worship god turn to the book of revelation the vision of the new kingdom, what is it? It's a lamb sitting on a throne. Everybody gathered and around it saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Glory, hallelujah. It's a picture of worship. That's the whole future in the new kingdom is worship. God's in the business of getting people to worship him. And now Jesus kind of throws a wrench in the system. God himself, through his son Jesus, comes and makes uh, uh, something known about worship. As he says, he wants people to worship in spirit and truth. So, the woman says to Jesus, hey, I know you worship in Jerusalem. We're supposed to worship over here. She's thinking location. Jesus completely reframes the discussion. It's not about location at all. God is not seeking worshipers in Jerusalem or worshipers in Judea or at this well. God is seeking worshipers in spirit and truth. In other words, God is speaking worship people who worship him personally, who worship an objective known God. So spirit means being, kind of our being, who we are. So God is seeking people to bring him honor with who they are as a person, that our spirits would be quickened by the Holy Spirit of God and there's a spiritual act that takes place. As it says there, God is the spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and quickens our spirit so that we can bring honor to God. Worship is personal. It's something that we're supposed to do 
ourselves. It's a personal life of honoring the true God made known in Jesus. God is seeking for you and I today to honor Him personally. This is where it begins. It begins by each of us finding true north. True north for us as individuals is this, is a life of honoring God through the person of Jesus Christ. So spirit is our being. Truth is that it's objective. God's not saying, hey, I just want people to worship. There's this story in Acts chapter 17 where Paul comes into a city. Paul comes into a city and there's a bunch of idols and stuff built out of wood and stone and Paul sees all of these inscriptions and so he says, hey, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one sent from God, crucified and raised from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying, we worship an objective God, one who exists, one who is true. God seeks for us as personal beings to bring honor to Him specifically. Not to some unknown created God, not to some known created being who we create, but to the true God. God is seeking worshipers in spirit and truth. In other words, He's looking for people who will live a life of honoring the true God. The word worship literally means to lay down, just to simply fall down at your feet and go like this. So basically, worship is very simply ascribing worth to someone or something. You know, we don't do it in our culture. But in a lot of other cultures, they have called times of prayer. And during those called times of prayer, what do they do? They get down on their knees and then they go like this. And we're like, that's kind of odd. That's not odd at all. Christianity's done that for years. In a lot of places, Christianity still does that. All they're doing is it's a physical symbol of ascribing worth to someone or something. That's what worship is. Giving someone or something honor or the worth that they deserve. And this is what God wants from us. He wants us to ascribe Him honor. Notice in this story on the well as you're reading this next week how the conversation turns from the husband issue to the worship issue. The woman just said, or Jesus just said, you have five husbands and she acknowledges that that's true. <laughs> well, Jesus shouldn't we deal with this adultery issue? I mean, Jesus, maybe she needs some relational counseling. Jesus doesn't even go back to it. He goes right to the heart of the matter. Because what's the heart of the matter? The heart of the matter is this woman is not seeking to honor the true God. The behavior that's flowing from that is specifically adultery. If we've got behavior issues... If you want to get to the heart of the behavior issue, it's a worship issue. It's who am I trying to honor? The woman was trying to honor her feelings or trying to honor another man or trying to honor culture. But when we're seeking to honor God, our behavior will follow. This woman's issues is a worship issue. It's a heart issue that she's not seeking to bring honor to the true God. And this is what God is seeking. He's seeking people who will worship Him. This morning, if you and I are seeking to find true north, that, that pathway that God has created us to be on, that pathway is a pathway of worship where we seek to honor God with our whole lives. So many of us, when we think of worship, we think of music. That's what comes to mind is music. 
Music is an element of worship, but it's such a small part. Such a small part. Worship is so much more than that. Worship is a life of honoring God. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that in light of God's mercy, offer your bodies, your whole life, as a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When we come in here and sing on Sunday morning, that singing and that reading and that listening should be an outflow of an individual life seeking to honor God. Do you not think that we've got a big enough God that notices when we come and just turn on the light switch? I mean, what kind of God do we really have if we can just show up, honor Him for an hour, and then go out and do whatever we want? The measure of our true worship on Sunday morning is not the quality or the beat of the drums or the guitar. The measure of our true worship on Sunday morning is if we're bringing honor to God with our whole being. There's cathedrals filled with the most beautiful music in the whole world. Those cathedrals are producing greed and adultery and hostility. It's not worship at all. True worship is a life of honoring God. And then from that flows music, beautiful music, or whatever kind of music. For me, just music. Music is an outflow of a life that's seeking to honor God. Therefore, corporate worship, that which we're doing today, what we're doing right now is corporate worship. We're getting together as individual worshipers saying, hey, let's worship to God, God together as a group. This has been done throughout the whole history of Christianity. God began to gather his people together. Jesus gathered with his people in the book of Acts. They started gathering together right away in homes. There's one problem, and I can't wait to talk to Jesus about this. Jesus did not give any instruction about it in the Gospels or anywhere else in the New Testament. He forgot to leave behind a hymnal. How could he possibly forget to do that thing? Does he not know we need a hymnal to gather together as his people? He left nothing. He gave no instruction on how we're to gather together at his people. And I'm not exaggerating here. There's really one spot in the book of Corinthians that gives some direction to how we're to gather together on Sunday mornings, but that issue flows from a speaking in tongues issue and a call to kind of have some order in the interpretation. Well, last I checked, we haven't had any speaking in tongues issues recently. There's not a lot of direction. So therefore, how should we gather for corporate worship? This is the dilemma thing. Most of us say, well, let's gather how we've always gathered. That's what we know. That's what we're comfortable with. And it must be right if our grandparents did it. What? But our grandparents gather differently than the grandparents that are in South Africa or the grandparents that are in northern China. So who's right? Since there's no specific direction of how to gather, the question becomes, what is the most beneficial for this community? How should we decide how we worship? We should decide how we worship by looking at the people that are here, saying, what would benefit this group? And at the same time saying, what would benefit the people that are not here? What would be the easiest for the people that are not here to come and engage in, to come and understand? So for example, we would not go to China and start an English-speaking service with straight rows like this. 
For one thing, they wouldn't be able to understand a word we say. Another thing, they'd go, straight rows, what's this? What are we supposed to do in these straight rows? And what's this standing up and sitting stuff? Again, what would we do? We'd go over there and say, okay, how can we preach God's word in a way that's effective in this culture that they're going to understand and that they're going to be able to participate in? Same thing for us here. What can we create that's easy for people to participate in? Our goal on Sunday morning is that everybody sings. Our goal on Sunday morning is that everybody's got an opportunity to sing, listen to God's Word, and pray. We don't bring these people up here for a show. They're good thing. I mean, they're, very, they're really good. You haven't seen anything. And I don't know much about music, but if we wanted them to, they could cut a rug, I think is the phrase. Right? We're not asking them to cut a rug thing. We're asking them to lead us in worship. Their goal, their goal is to be the leaders of us singing praises to God. They succeed when we participate in praising God. It's not a show. What's a show is all of us to God. How it's done is really up in the air and up for debate. Welcome to the table. So, I know some from this service look at our first service that's traditional, and some say, how can you do the same thing every week and say the same words? Doesn't it just become meaningless after a while? Well, if my daughter doesn't say I love you to me this next week, do I say, that's okay. Or if my daughter says I love, love you every day to me, do I say, hey, let's take today off because it really doesn't mean as much because you've been saying it every day. Right? I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense. A lot of the other cultures around the world, you don't want to know what they do? They sing the exact same two songs every time they get together. And they sing them for like a half an hour long. So repetition is not the problem. The first service people sometimes look back at this service and they say, oh, our kids are not going to know the hymns. Well, the Apostle Paul did not know a single hymn that any of us are singing. Nobody before Martin Luther and the Reformation sang any of those hymns. Does that mean they were all wrong? Again, all of these issues are preference. It's all what works best, what is most faithful to what has been revealed. The real question is this. Do I have a heart that wants to honor God? And how can I express that heart? Maybe you can't express that heart with drums. You know what? That's just fine. That's, I don't have any problem with that at all. You've got to find a place where you can express that heart. The issue is very simple. Do we have a life and a heart that wants to say to God, God, you are worth more than anything else. God, I honor you with my whole being. This is the issue for the woman. She hasn't found true north because she hasn't been living a life of honoring God. True north for us individually is living a life honoring God, seeking to glorify Him above all else. True, true north for us as a church is a church of worship where everything we do brings honor to God. And how we gather on Sunday morning is secondary to the main issue. As we talk about this idea of getting on the page of true north, 
We talk about, you know, that's for where we're at. The beauty of going true north is that there is a gift that is unbeatable. This woman that comes to Jesus, she's looking for something. She's been looking for something. Just like you and I are looking for something today. That which is going to sustain us, that which is going to give us eternal peace and eternal joy. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus gives her something. There's a major difference that I want you to notice here in John chapter 4. They're at a well. Whenever Jesus is teaching, I mean, Jesus is the best teacher. We'd all agree on that. I mean, God, obviously, the best teacher. Notice how he just comes right down to our level of humanity. And he uses all of the objects that he's involved with. So he uses the well. And he talks about, hey, draw down in the well and get this water. But then he turns it just a little bit when talking about what he's going to give him. And he no longer says well, but what does he say? Spring. There is a major difference between a well and a spring. A couple years ago, I was taking some uh, young boys up to a Bible camp that we go to, and we were going to build a brand new volleyball court. Nice sand, it just kind of been grass forever. So I grabbed a couple of strapping young lads, uh, took a trailer over and loaded up the Elber's rototiller thing, and we uh, got some shovels, and we were on our way. We were going to dig six inches deep. We had a plan, found it on the internet, put some fabric down, dumped sand on. This was going to be a beauty. Got up there about midnight, said to the young men, let's go, let's get started. Start shoveling. Start shoveling. About an hour and a half later, look down, there's just not much progress being made. So I thought to myself, eh, I can step away from the supervisory role for a little while here. Thing, help out. Start digging, right? Start digging. Holy cow. It's hard to move ground that hasn't been moved forever. Let's call her a night, 2 a.m., call her a night next morning. Let's get the rototiller out. Start tilling up, start digging. This ground ain't going anywhere, thing. Digging, nothing. Hey, here's an idea. Bring some hose, let's get some water, let's wet the ground, get some moisture on it, and then dig it up. You know how long it takes to get six inches wet enough to dig it up? And you know the mess that that makes? It doesn't work. We're stuck. We're digging. We're coming with all these unique little things that we think is going to get us that court that we want. Thankfully, someone came driving down that road with a truck and a trailer. And on that trailer was a skid steer. Do you know how fast a skid steer can move six inches of dirt? It was a beautiful thing being supervisor during that. We could have dug all day long. We still wouldn't have a volleyball court. He had to stop digging and go about it the right way. This morning, some of you are digging. Some of you are trying to find that true north, that purpose. You're digging, you're throwing water on, you're trying a little bit of everything. It's time to stop digging because we don't need to dig. Because what God gives is a spring. It comes up naturally. It comes up as a gift from Him. He gives it to this woman. He doesn't say to the woman, hey, sorry, you're above three. Uh, husbands, you're beyond help. You nope. Woman, here's the, here's the gift. Eternal life that will spring up in you. Now go 
The Father's seeking true worshipers. Go, live on this pathway of true north. We as a church, we can dig all day long and hope for different results. We can build new buildings every six years and, and think, that, oh, we're just going to come now. We can try the next new program, get some new coffee, get a new bass guitar. We can try it all. Keep digging. Ain't going to work. Ain't going to work until we're on true north, seeking to honor God above all else. It's time to stop digging as individuals and as a church, and it's time to start enjoying the spring of eternal life that's God's given to us. This morning I invite you to stop digging and to come as you are. The woman came as she was because she wasn't expecting to meet a religious leader at the well. Many of us came this morning expecting to be religious, so sometimes we don't come as we are. It's time to come as we are and acknowledge to God the mistakes of the past, the mistakes of the current, and to receive the gift and to begin to experience true north, a life of worshiping God. Come, come as you are and enter into the journey of going the right way, of living true north, a life of honoring God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to bring praise to your name in music, in word, in listening. God, we acknowledge that oftentimes in our personal lives, we've dug. We've dug deep and wide. We've, we've looked everywhere for something that will satisfy. God, we acknowledge that in the midst of that digging, we've hurt ourselves and we've hurt other people. God, this morning, correct us. God, forgive us, renew us. God, restore us to this pathway of worship. Lord, we offer ourselves to you now, and we pray that you'd create in us a heart of worship. We also pray that you'd give us discernment and wisdom on how we should worship together as a church. Give us unity of spirit. And Lord, I pray right now that you would take both of our worship services, that you would double them both in size, that you'd double them both with a hunger and a passion to honor your name. We pray, O oh Lord, that your name would be honored above all else as we gather together. Thank you, God, for your patience. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for taking us from where we are to a new life in you. God, we come to you now as we are, asking for your forgiveness. We come to you as we are, asking that you create in us a heart that wants to worship you. Lord, thank you. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.